like that. All right, that's fine. Great to be here with you all again. Uh, this, the passage we're going to look at this morning is Matthew 6. If, if you have Bibles or on your phones and want to turn there, I know it should be back up, I think, behind me as well. Uh, and this is uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and so that, that's a, a series that we looked at actually when, when at, with my Rhodes College students uh, this last year. And one of the things about the Sermon on the Mount is that it's, uh, it's very popular. A lot of people, you know, even if you're not a Christian, a lot of people have heard different phrases from the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, love your enemies, uh, all these sorts of different sayings. And so this is a passage in the Sermon on the Mount. One of the contexts of the Sermon on the Mount is that it's Jesus talking to his followers, and it's basically Jesus sort of giving uh, an explanation of what is the good life, you know, obviously starting it with blessed. What is the blessed life? What is a life of kind of flourishing uh, look like? What is a life that, that follows me? You know, what is it uh, about it that's good? What is this life? And this is, I think, a, a part of the Sermon on the Mount that, that oftentimes we don't talk about as much and talking about worrying. And so if you'll turn with me, uh, Matthew 6, we're going to start in verse 19. We're going to mainly looking at the second part, but for context, we're going to start in verse 19 and read through 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness." No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of field, lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into this passage. Heavenly Father, I thank you again uh, for your word of encouragement this morning. I thank you uh, that you see a life with you. Um, a life in you, Lord, as being one that can be free of worry. I pray, Lord, that you will encourage us with your gospel and, and your love this morning as we look at your words to your followers about the good life. I pray this in your name. Amen. So when, uh, so I'm, uh, my, my wife, Lee, we have two children, uh, William and Lizzie, who are now uh, about to be 17, and, and uh, Lizzie just turned 15, so two teenagers, and uh, when, and so this was 18 years ago now, when Lee uh, first got pregnant with William, 
uh, towards the, the end of the pregnancy. It was like, I guess, you know, end of second, beginning of third trimester. And, and I remember, still remember in the middle of the night, around two or three in the morning, my wife Lee woke up and kind of had this immediate realization. You know, she felt something was wrong and that she had not felt William move um, for probably over 24 hours, which was something that if you know, the doctors had told us, if that happens, to be concerned and to come in. And, and so she was concerned. And so then immediately the debate is, do we go to the emergency room? Do we wait till the doctor's office opens? Uh, you know, for, for all sorts of different reasons, we decide to wait uh, until the office, you know, the doctor's office opens that morning at 7.30. But of course, couldn't fall asleep. Uh, you know, was just sitting there racked with worry for, for about four or five hours. I remember, I still can vividly remember driving you know, down the interstate to the hospital and my hands kind of gripping the wheel in a way because I was so tense uh, with anxiety. And, you know, we get there and we're trying to get ourselves worked in and we're kind of like stressed as we see people kind of who actually had appointments getting in before us and hoping that we can get worked in. And finally we go in um, and we don't see our actual normal doctor, but we see somebody else because, um, you know, because we just said we just need to see a doctor. Um, and then the ultrasound comes and we immediately see a heartbeat and, and just immediately once the heartbeat is seen and we know the, that uh, William is okay, that immediately it's like tears, tears start coming down Lee's face, you know, just kind of this enormous sense of relief and all these things. And, and the doctor who I cannot comment on the, the doctor's bedside manner here, he just kind of starts chuckling to yourself and he was basically like, he, he looked at us and is like, yep, you're about to have a kid. Welcome to a life of worry. Wait until, wait, until, wait until he comes out and he's like up and walking around. Wait until he gets in a car and drives, which I'm actually feeling now, uh, having a 17-year-old. Uh, you know, well, you are parents now. Welcome to a life of worry. And, and I, I remember hearing that and my relief immediately went back to stress. Like, wait a second, what I just experienced... I'm going to experience that constantly now, the, the rest of my son's life, the rest of my life, I'm going to feel this sense of worry for my children. And I just thought about this like basically, welcome to a life of worry. And of course, I knew that this wasn't just welcome to a life of worry. I'd already lived a life of worry because I am a worrier. I, I'm very anxious. I get stressed very easily. And, and, as, and I came, as I drove home that night, and as I began to think more and more, you know, I was nervous about what life was going to be if life was always going to be a life of worry. And if we think about it, this world is a world full of worry. That stress, anxiety, you know, heart attacks are among one of the most, uh, you know, uh, the top things that kill people in the United States. And it's often due to stress. You know, so many of us, have trouble relaxing. Even when we come home from work, we're still thinking about work or we're thinking about what's going on with our families or we're thinking about our bank accounts or we're thinking about our health, that we're constantly thinking about all of these things and the future. You know, so many of us are worried about the past and decisions we made and the regrets that we feel like will never go away. Some, some of us are constantly worried about the future and our finances, our security, our health, our, our, our school choices, the school, whether we're going to get into schools, our job choices, if we made the ma right major choice. That's what my students at Rhodes are constantly worried about. You know, who knows what tomorrow will bring? And even when life is good, 
like oftentimes I'll be talking with, with my family and it's like, you know, man, life is just, we're just really blessed right, right now. And then it, it doesn't take but a few seconds before one of us begins to say, well, when is the other shoe going to drop? You know, when is something bad going to happen? Because we're just constantly sort of surrounded by worry. And many, like our doctor that morning, would suggest that, that worrying is just a natural part of life. That it's just the way things are, and we just need to deal with it. But actually, here in Matthew 6, Jesus disagrees with that sentiment. Disagrees with the sentiment that life is just a life of worry. He urges his listeners and his followers to not worry, to not be anxious. To Jesus, a life of flourishing, the good life does not include worry in it. That, and, and of course, for the Palestinian Jewish people of the first century, to which Jesus taught this message, they had even more to worry about than us. You know, they had, they had, you know, they had, they were, they had crops that could potentially go bad. They were an oppressed people group. They had enemies. They had tax collectors who could just take anything on a whim. Uh, they had, you know, they didn't have any voting rights. They, they often, you know, uh, their mortality rates were much lower than ours. There was constant death from illness and childbirth. They didn't have sort of the modern medicine that we do. They had general low life expectancy and very little personal autonomy compared to us. Yet Jesus tells them and us not to worry. And these verses are pretty clear that we're not to worry. You know, verse 25 and verse 31 and verse 34, Jesus repeats, do not be anxious. Do not worry. So why are we not to worry? Because in these verses, Jesus is going is to show the problem with worrying. And then graciously and very encouragingly, he's going to offer a solution to a life of worrying. So first, the problem with worrying. Because we need to recognize that worrying will never bring us joy or satisfaction. Why will worrying never bring us joy? Well, first, the first reason is, is because when we worry, we treasure the wrong things. The therefore in the passage goes back to the first few verses where the theme is, what are you valuing or treasuring? Jesus is making the point that we worry about what we value. Jesus begins the argument this way in verse 25b. Is not life more important than food, the body more important than clothes? Jesus is saying that what you are worried about is what is important to you, is what you value or treasure. And of course, this makes complete sense. I remember you know, when I had a roommate in my 20s, um, and he was going out with a girl, and he kept saying you know, he didn't know if he liked her or not. You know, but he kept going on dates with her, but he wasn't sure. But of course, his actions betrayed the sentiment of kind of ambivalence because, you know, uh, he was constantly asking myself and my other roommates, you know, does he look good in what he's wearing? What restaurant should he take her to? What movie should they go see? You know, should he call her, uh, you know, a day after the date or should he wait two days? He was constantly asking us with all these questions and I remember my roommate looking at him and saying, you know, when he kind of, you know, told us, yeah, but, you know, I don't know if I really like her. If you don't like her, then why do you, why are you so worried about how she feels about you all the time? That's all you talk about. Well, the truth was he did really like her and he did really want her to like him back. 
He was worried about all these different details because he wanted her to like him. He was worried because he treasured, he valued her liking him back. You know, a very, another good is, uh, you know, nine years ago when we moved to Memphis, uh, we, you know, we had a, a moving van and, and you could tell what my wife and I valued by what we cared about. For her, uh, her mom is kind of this antique furniture dealer, and so we had a couple pieces of antique furniture. And for Lee, that was what she cared about was making sure that these pieces of antique furniture were able to be moved from Chattanooga to Memphis without anything happening to them. She was very aware of how we were putting them in the moving van, what they were doing. Me, on the other hand, uh, me, on the other hand, you know, if the antique furniture gets, gets some you know, cracks in them or gets some little nicks, that's fine. But, but man, if I was going to pack my HDTV in a way that if a bomb went off, the HDTV would be protected by all the different pillows and wrappings that I did. And why is that? It's because I was worried about my TV breaking. Lee was worried about her antique furniture breaking. It shows kind of what we valued. And the whole drive, that was all that we were thinking about. We were worried about what was going to happen to our stuff. And so in verse 25, Jesus is wondering, why would someone treasure food and clothes and stuff? And to understand this, we must go back to verse 19, where Jesus warns against storing up for ourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Because food and clothes are treasures on earth. And in verse 19 through 20, Jesus teaches us not to value things that will not last. Unfortunately, this is what we do when we worry. We value things that will not last, and we value things like uh, another girl liking us that we cannot control or that we cannot protect, like our stuff that we were moving. We think we can keep thieves out through alarm systems, but when it comes down to it, we cannot ensure our things will never be stolen. We think we have real control over whether or not people like us, or how, how some of our family members treat us or act, but we know we, deep down that we don't. So we constantly worry about whether or not we've pleased them, about whether or not we've raised them well, about whether or not they like us. You know, I worry during sporting events because I know I have no control. I think if I sit in this chair or wear this, you know, particular shirt, then my sports team will win. But I know deep down that that is, you know, a very irrational, stupid belief. But yet, I have it. And, and I worry about it. I worry about watching March Madness because I know ultimately I don't have control over basketball games. You know, we worry about flying even though it's much safer than driving, often because, you know, when we drive, we feel more in control. And so this is the very reason, Jesus is saying, these are the very reasons we worry about these things. We know they will not last. We know we cannot control it. It's the only thing, only the things that we can't control or we can't protect um, are the things that we actually worry about. Do you see the problem that Jesus is trying to get at? is that when we worry, we are valuing things that will not last and that we can lose. How can valuing something that does not last and something that we can lose ever bring us true joy or satisfaction? 
you know, drilling down kind of even deeper, how can worrying about this something that will not bring us joy or satisfaction ever bring us joy and satisfaction? Now, if this was the only way we see worrying will never bring us joy, that would be fine, but Jesus gives an even more compelling reason in verse 27. He says, when we worry, we're not accomplishing anything. Verse 27 shows the futility of worrying. It does not accomplish anything. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? We can't. Worrying about something does not allow us to protect or control it anymore. Me worrying, my level of worry as we were driving down the interstate and moving did not anymore protect the, the stuff that we were moving. You know, that worrying does nothing to keep the moths moth and rust away, or the thieves from breaking in and stealing. You know, ironically, we found that worrying and anxiety can actually take hours off of our lives. Worrying only makes the situation worse. Yet we often sit there deceived that all the worrying we are doing about something is accomplishing something and will actually bring us happiness. And yet it doesn't. Us worrying about something doesn't make us control it more, doesn't make it last longer, doesn't uh, make it happen uh, more likely. It actually doesn't accomplish anything. When, when my wife Lee and I went on our honeymoon, we had one of those uh, legendary bad honeymoons where everything went wrong. We both got the flu on our honeymoon. Uh, twice, we were kind of traveling in the Northeast, twice our reservations got lost in a hotel. We spent an entire 20 hours at a rental car place because of like things getting lost, credit cards getting uh, stopped, all sorts of things happened. Uh, you know, and, uh, and I was just constantly worried because this was my moment to show Lee what a great husband I was by this honeymoon I planned that went wrong at every corner. And I remember just walking around constantly thinking, you know, oh no, you know, it's, it's maybe, it's only been a few days, maybe Lee can get the, the wedding annulled and the marriage annulled, you know, that she, she's maybe wisened up, that she made a huge mistake, and I was like constantly thinking about this. And, uh, you know, and Lee was, was constantly frustrated with me because she's like, why are, we're on our honeymoon, we're supposed to be having fun, what's wrong with you? You know, to, and, and we kind of went back and forth. And finally, you know, I was kind of going on and on in this sort of kind of self-deprecating, everything's going wrong, you know, may, you know it's not too late to get out. And, and Lee kind of grabbing me and saying, John, stop worrying. It's like even if everything's going wrong, we're still here together and we can still just have fun and be here together. Why are you worrying about everything? I'm here with you, we just got married. And I was like, you're right, you're right, Lee. You're right. You know, and she's like, stop worrying about whether you're loving me well and making everything perfect and just love me here. Have fun right here and now. I was like, okay. And then in my mind, I was like, well, now I'm really worried because she sees right through me. Uh, and, and you see the, the problem with worrying here. I was so worried about being a great husband and having a great honeymoon that I ensured that neither were accomplished, that I was actually going against my intent. And so therefore, we have to realize that worrying is fruitless. This is what Jesus is trying to tell us here in his sermon. 
However, one thing that worrying can show us is it can show us what we really value and what we really worship. It shows us where we're seeking our joy and happiness. And so I ask you, what do you worry about? What do you wake up at night stressing about? You know, me, one of the things I worry about often is money. Why? Because I value comfort. I want to have what I want to have. I don't want to have to say no. I don't want to have to have limits. I worry about what other people think about me. Why? Because deep down, I value, I mean, at best, just to be popular. You know, at worst, I want to be maybe worshipped. You know, I want to be in control of how other people view and see me. I think about my, my own sort of career and then also like my Rhodes students. They worship, you know, they value grades and achievement. Their worth is their GPA and their resume. You know, that, uh, that they have to be seen as successful and achieving. And often I think, especially in America, we see this as sort of the meaning of life, our purpose, to be successful, to achieve. When if you look in the Sermon on the Mount, all of Jesus' words about what it is to live a good life, what it is to follow him, you know, notice there's something absent in that, which is being successful, achieving. There's a lot more about loving your neighbor, a lot more about your character. To Jesus, flourishing is not about achieving, it's about your heart and how you love people. And that says way more about you than what you've, quote, accomplished or what your GPA is. You know, the problem with worrying are universal. And Jesus here, you know, is this kind of great philosopher telling us what the problems with worrying are. And, and this is where, if you're not a Christian this morning, I think everybody would agree that there's a major problem with worrying here, that Jesus' words are true. But, but after this, I have nothing to offer you other than the gospel. Because I don't know what kind of secular way to answer the problem with worrying except what Jesus does here for people who would seek to follow him. Because Jesus offers a solution to this problem of worrying. He says that the solution to worrying is to trust the God of the Bible, to trust the God of the Bible. And so why should we trust this God? Well, Jesus reminds us that God is sovereign over everything. It's implied with how Jesus talks about the birds and the lilies in verse 26 and verses 28 through 30, that God is in control of our lives. And of course, yet none of this would matter that God is in control, except for what we also see in verse 26. Because look at verse 26. Jesus says, look at how God takes care of the birds and the lilies. Will he not take care of you, who are much more valuable to him than animals and plants? We can trust God because he is in control, but also because he values and loves us. As his people, God loves and values us. If this great God takes care of the birds and lilies, surely he will take care of us. The Bible repeatedly reveals how much God values us. Look at all of redemptive history. God made a covenant with his people even when they fell. He told the Israelites that he would take them as his own people, though they did not deserve for him to. He loves his people even when they don't love him back. God is for you. God is with you. And God loves you. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God is for you, that God is with you, and that God 
loves you. Because that's what Jesus is saying here. Further, Jesus, as the Son of God, knows firsthand how much the Father values us because of what his mission is. He descended to earth, took the nature of a servant, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, and resurrected from the dead so that we could be in in eternal relationship with him and his Father. And this is great news, but Jesus goes even further. He goes on in verse 32 to say that God knows what we truly need. Jesus states that our Heavenly Father knows that we need what we need, that we do need food and drink and clothes. Earlier in verse 8, and this is before the passage we read, in 6-8, in his instruction on how to pray, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus states that God knows that we need before we even ask. You know, the problem isn't that God doesn't know what we need. The problem is we don't even know what we need. That even if worrying was productive, which it's not, even if it did accomplish something, which it doesn't, we would probably worry about the wrong things. And yet God, who's sovereign, who loves us, knows what we actually need. You know, why do we always assume that we know what we need? We often, so often confuse need with just strong desire or want. Sometimes we actually need someone who knows what we need in our lives to tell us. I found that in my friends, in my wife, and and even more in my kids, that often they know what I need more than I do. And yet in God, we have an infinite, um, extremely sovereign, omnipotent God who knows what we need, who knows it. And we always have that with God. We see that the sovereign God values his people. He knows what we need. And then obviously we see that also God provides for his people's needs. Verse 28 shows that God has clothed the lilies of the field, so certainly he will clothe his people. God is the power and he values us, so certainly he will provide for us. Throughout scripture, the running theme is that God provides for his people as he did in the garden with the Israelites in the wilderness, while they're in plenty, while they're in want, even when they were in exile because they had turned from him. He provided for his people. We see even today in the church that the church provides is one of God's ways of providing for his people through the office of deacon. One of the the reasons for deacons is for them to help provide for the people in the church, their real daily physical needs. God knows what we need, and God will provide it. But we also see that he provides not just our daily needs, but he provides our eternal needs as well. Jesus hints at this in verse 25. Verse 25 shows that there's more to our lives and bodies than simply daily needs that we have greater needs in our life. We, we worry about our health and the slow deterioration of our bodies. We worry about the unknown of death. And, and because of our sin, the Bible says we will die and our bodies will fail. However, Jesus came to change that. Because Jesus himself, a full human, but also sovereign God, who knows his people need, has come to earth, not only because he deeply loves and values us, but to ensure that all our eternal needs are met. 
Jesus has come and lived, died and risen in order to take away these worries that we have about our sin and about death. Because see, Jesus gives us daily bread, but he is the bread of life. He will give us water that eternally quenches our thirst. And Jesus clothes us with his righteousness so that we can be united to him for eternity. We're wrapped up in his glory. All our eternal needs are taken care of. His work provides us with eternal life and an eternal glorious body. We have eternal health and wealth in Jesus. Therefore, to free ourselves of worry and be content, we have to embrace the goodness and grace of God through Christ. We must trust in God who loves us, is sovereign over everything, who knows what we truly need, and provides us not only with our daily bread, but with our eternal needs as well. This is why we can trust in the God of the Bible and not worry. In light of the fact that God is in control and that he loves us, that he knows what we truly need, and that he promises to provide those needs, we need to learn to rest in Jesus and his plan more. You know, Christians often you know, sound like someone, and this is like my own heart, who does not know that God loves them. You know, Romans 8 says there is no plan B for the Christian. You can't mess up God's plan for you. Look at all the people in the Bible who try. And yet God provides, God loves. And so rather than worrying, we also have an alternative to that, and that is prayer. And unlike worrying, which we often do, the Bible promises that prayer accomplishes everything. That no prayer is in vain. While worrying might be in vain, prayer actually, you know, God uses it accomplishes things, not only for our own hearts, but for God's sovereignty. If you find yourself up worrying, try prayer instead. The act of prayer is the act of saying, I don't know, but I'm going to try to trust God in this, as opposed to just worrying. And you see, verse 33 becomes clear now, that we must seek after the kingdom of God, His goodness and grace, Grace, in order to be free of all our worries, both eternal and temporal. Because we still have real concerns in life. You know, we're not a bunch of like stoic, I guess like Spock-like people who don't still have concerns. But no longer, Jesus is saying, no longer do we have to worry about them. Because we know we have a powerful, all-knowing God who values us and provides all our needs. We no longer have to worry about this life. We can now concern ourselves with the kingdom of God, knowing that our king will provide for us. So, we, it, so it's all of a sudden not just about us anymore, but it's about the whole world. For instance, rather than trying, like I do often, to control everyone and everything around you and, and how they perceive you, if we're just seeking his righteousness, we'll actually focus on the one thing we can't control, which is ourselves, and try to display the fruits of the Spirit of self-control. Rather than worrying about people liking us, we will actually just seek to love other people. You see, this is the freedom you get serving people. 
uh, you know, we just finished spring break at Rhodes and we didn't take a mission trip this year, but often uh, we take different mission trips. And it's funny how I see in my students how all their worries go away on mission trips. How people who sacrifice for others seem to be happier in life. And that's the blessed life, you know, that Jesus says it is. Because when we're not worrying about our own life and ourselves, we begin to actually uh, do things for others. And, and somehow that actually amazingly leads to a happier, more satisfied life. And look at verse 34. Rather than worrying about tomorrow, we can actually do something about today. Because when we worry about the future, we're neglecting our kingdom work of the day. Remember, worrying doesn't accomplish anything. And I just think about how many times, how much time do I spend worrying rather than actually doing something productive? You know, to think of the hours I've wasted in my life worrying about, you know, finding the one before my wife, worrying about my body, analyzing, manipulating people, regretting decisions, obsessing over grades and career choices, you know, worrying about the future, job stuff. If I just had concerned myself with the kingdom of God and brought all those concerns to God in prayer, and actually, you know, focused on loving people, then the rest would have taken care of itself. Because once we realize that we have eternal life, eternal health and wealth, when we go through major trials and suffering, we can actually, you know, struggle with our worries and begin to not worry as much. We can actually begin to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We can be content and even joyful during hard times when we remember the eternal state of things and who we have as our God. Because despite our hard circumstances, we also know that God is still with us, that God is for us and that he loves us. And of course, this is not easy. I'm not getting up here, like it makes sense, but it's really hard to live out. And I can tell you that after we had William and after we had Lizzie, we had two more experiences of my wife waking up very nervous about what was going on in her pregnancy, and those were miscarriages. And then we were told we couldn't have kids anymore. And we definitely wanted to have more than two. That was, you know, our plan, but that wasn't God's plan for us. And it's often easy for me when I see some of my friends who have more kids or just other people who have lives that I perceive as, as lives that I want to have, it's easy for me to sometimes question, does God care about me? Does God care about us? But this passage and the rest of my life and the songs that we sing repeatedly tell me that God does. That God is for me. That God is with me. That God does love me. And it tells me that his love for me, his plan for me, is something I never have to worry about. Despite my present circumstances, that he will work good through the brokenness and the tragedies in the world. And now again, I just have to say, you know, that oftentimes that anxiety and other things come from trauma, from, from, from things that are wrong chemically with us, and we need to talk to people about that. That's not what this passage is about. I don't want you to feel guilty or wrong for, for struggling with worry, because this is part of living in a broken world. But I do want you to go get help if you struggle with these things. Come talk to Mike, talk to elders, talk to people in this church if you struggle with this sort of thing. But what Jesus is trying to tell us here this morning, I'll close with this, because our past is forgiven and our eternal future is certain, 
we can actually live in the presence knowing that God has provided just what we need and will continue to do so. And that we can live free of worry and seek his kingdom. Jesus is simply trying to tell you this morning, God is good and he loves you. So why are you living lives of worry? Why do we act like we are not beloved children of the God of the universe? And of course, when we forget this and find ourselves worrying and doubting the goodness of God all the time, the gospel says to you, your past is forgiven and that one day Jesus will return and he will make our joy complete and we will know forever the goodness and the love of God. We will know just how much he values each one of us and we will never worry again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you um, that you value us, that you care about us. I pray as, as we think through worry, as we think through anxiety, as we think through things, um, Lord, I just pray that ultimately we would leave here this morning knowing that you love us, that you love us, that you've forgiven us, and that we are your beloved children, and that we will go out and live confident lives out in this hard, hard world, knowing that we are your children and that you love us. I pray this in your name. Amen.